What does it take to keep your heart healthy? Did you know several health conditions, your lifestyle, and your age and family history can increase your risk for heart disease? Stay tuned on this episode of The One in Five as we talk about heart health. Hey y'all, welcome to The One in Five, the show for those who want to know how to be healthy, how to stay healthy, and how to promote health in your community. I'm your host, Adam Renshaw, and in today's show, we have Dr. David Mark and Kent Dowdy, and we're going to be talking about what affects our heart health and some things we can do to keep it healthy into the later stages of our lives. Welcome back, guys new podcast episode this time about heart health how are you guys good how are you great thank you good really good uh dr mark i know you got coffee so you're good um fabulous and coffee's good for the heart it sure is awesome uh guys heart attacks heart disease they affect so many people uh i read a stat that more than six hundred and fifty thousand people in the u.s will die from heart disease this year Heart disease is the leading cause of death for men, women, and people of most racial and ethnic groups in the United States. That's everyone, right? Except children, Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And one person dies every 36 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease. Uh, staggering statistics, gentlemen. Um, let's... Let's talk about this a little bit. Dr. Mark, can you um, explain what affects our heart health? What are some of the best indicators of heart disease? And uh, what's the best way to assess our heart health? Yeah, it, there's, um, there are a, a number of, of identified risk factors that would lead a person to be at a higher risk for for heart disease. And when we talk about heart disease, we're talking really now about like the, the kind of heart disease that causes a heart attack where your blood vessels get, um, get narrow and hardened and you can all of a sudden, the blood flow to your heart would stop. So that's the kind of heart disease we're talking about. We call it cardiovascular disease or coronary disease. Okay. As opposed to some of the other, you know, heart disease where you're born with only one ventricle or you develop a problem with one of the valves in your heart, or you have a rhythm problem in your heart. So we're talking specifically now about the blood flow through the blood vessels that supply the heart muscle. Okay. Okay. And it's important to think about the risk factors for heart health or heart disease as uh, some things that are uh, stuff you can do something about. We would call those modifiable risk factors, and others that you can't do anything about. And what I mean by that is we're all born with certain genetics, and we're born, um, you know, with a certain biology that we can't change. So it's important to know that, yeah, your genetics can affect your risk of having a heart attack or heart disease, um, but unfortunately, you can't fix your genetics. Okay. So that's, that's just an important, there are certain risk factors that you can do a lot about, you can change, 
you have some control over. Um, and those, again, we would call those modifiable risk factors. Those are things like the, the big ones for all adults. These would be like smoking, your, your weight, overweight and obesity, um, your diet, what you're eating, um, your physical activity level, um, your blood pressure, uh, your, um, your cholesterol level, your, your lipid, we call it your lipid profile. Um, and if you have diabetes, how you're managing your diabetes. Those are all what we call modifiable risk factors. One that's a biggie that sort of underlies lots of diseases, including heart disease, is your stress level and what you're <laughs> doing to cope with stress. We just talked about that, didn't we? We sure did. <laughs> so all of those, you know, those are big, what we, those are sort of the big categories of risk factors that would affect your heart. So could some of those risk factors, the modifiable risk factors, also be affected by genetics? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so in other words, your, your blood pressure, your tendency to have high blood pressure can be inherited. Okay. Your tendency to have high cholesterol or certain types of cholesterol profiles or lipid profiles can certainly be uh, inherited. Um, and in addition, just the risk of having a sudden heart attack can be inherited. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kent, you were telling us a story before we actually started recording about your father. Would you tell our listeners that story? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't remember how many years ago, but it was, he was, I would say he was a middle-aged adult at the time. Probably, I think, I think of middle-aged as being like early to mid sixties, given the fact that I'm not far from that. So, um, so yeah, so he was, uh, generally very healthy, exercised frequently. Didn't have cholesterol issues. Didn't have, didn't have cholesterol issues. Didn't have blood pressure issues. Didn't have any other risk factors. As Dr. Mark had mentioned, his choices in his life were very positive. Um, he, he chose to do the right things uh, as, as we think of, you know, activity and eating and those types of things. But he was out shoveling snow one winter, had some, uh, what he thought was maybe heartburn, some pressure in his chest, came in the house. Fortunately, uh, communicated with my mom, who then said, we're going to go to the ER right now. The long and short was he had some major blockage, ended up with um, quadruple bypass surgery, so open heart surgery. Oh, um, and and really, I think the 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 tolerance, I mean, I think we all know there's the markers and there's the, you know, whether it's in, the, in a lipid panel or whether it's, you know, you're, you're taking blood pressure and all that. But there were, there were really n no signs of having his primary care physician to have to intervene with either medication or anything special. So here it is a generally healthy middle-aged male who's out shoveling snow. And then just almost this freaky, you know, um, episode, if you will, that sends him to the ER subsequently to a quadruple bypass and came out of it fine. But I think that was a little note to my brother and I to say, wow, I mean, maybe we don't have, markers in our annual exams and physicals that are s saying that we have, you know, a problem or an issue, but we might want to keep, keep our finger on that, you know, no pulse a little bit just to make sure that we don't have, have problems because obviously there's something in his genetics that predisposed him with no really other sign or symptom that led to him saying, I think I might have a problem. Prime example of sudden Right. No, no warning at all. And, and you said that's a heritable 
thing, right? Those. Yeah, we can definitely inherit that tendency to have, um, you know, and what, what you'll find is when you go to, to that primary care visit and you're asked about your medical history, one of the questions that's typically asked is, is there anyone in your family who, who died suddenly of a heart attack at a mm. young age? And that's, that's, that's sort of getting at this notion of, of you are someone who's in a higher risk category that should pay close attention to these things. Gotcha. What is it about shoveling snow, Dr. Mark, that can be so <laughs> harsh? Shoveling snow can, can be, can be uh, there's a lot of heart attacks associated with, with shoveling snow. And it's probably because, um, you know, it's a strenuous physical activity that often gets started first thing in the morning when the body's undergoing lots of physiologic um, volume shifts and hormonal changes. Uh, typically people don't warm up a lot before they start shoveling snow mm. and, um, and it's typically a little bit more challenging than we, when, than we expect, we're not expecting that level of exertion. So there's lots of reasons why, um, you know, specifically snow shoveling is associated with, with sudden cardiac events. So would you recommend doing a little five minute warm up before you head Absolutely. out to do the Absolutely. <laughs> snow shoveling? Do some up downs, a little burpee, yeah. you know. a couple burpees, <laughs> do 15 20 burpees and you'll be ready to go get you yeah absolutely and that might give you a heart attack too well there's that yeah. <laughs> oh man so so we have some modifiable risk factors and then we have some genetic risk factors is what i'm hearing you say um and uh you know what can we do though like how can we how can can a, let me ask you this can genetics be overcome I think there's really good news when it comes to heart disease because, you know, even in, in the case that Kent just described where his, his father probably didn't even know that he had this high risk, he, he paid attention, he listened to his wife, he did the right thing when it came to this unusual symptom of heartburn that he was experiencing and, uh, and then got taken care of and then likely, you know, paid some close attention to his health. And it probably, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a lesson for all of us that, you know, Genetics is not destiny. We're not completely determined by what we inherit at birth. There's a lot that we can do to improve, um, improve our health and, and lower the risk that we have uh, problems with heart disease. And so that list of modifiable risk factors, I think, is, is pretty long. And there's a lot of things that we can do to choose um, a healthier lifestyle that can really put us in, in, good, in, in better odds, in good shape, relative to our heart health. So let's go through some of it. Obviously, if you're smoking, stop. Yeah, seek seek help to quit. Okay. And if you you know if you if you try to quit and you fail, try again. Every time you try to quit, your your odds of successfully, you know, kicking the habit go up. And so don't 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 beat yourself up if you if after trying to quit you you relapse or whatever. That's good for on sure. you for trying. Yeah. For sure. And and every moment counts, right? Absolutely. Every moment you're not smoking is a moment that your lungs are having an opportunity to um, heal themselves, yeah. so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's, a, what's a way that somebody can address their blood pressure? First of all, know what your blood pressure is. And that's, that's often the, the, the biggest challenge is just taking, taking the initiative to figure out, do I have high blood pressure? And that can be done in concert with your, with your care team where you can, you can have your blood pressure checked and monitored through, through the course of the day or the week or the month, if need be. Um, and, and, 
you know, answer the question, do I have a blood pressure that's too high and not healthy for me? Um, cause if that's the case, there are things that can be done. There are lifestyle changes that could, that a person can, can make by losing weight, exercising more, changing diet, quitting smoking, all the things that we've talked about and, or, you know, using medications. There's a huge number of really good effective medicines that can be used to help reduce, to help your blood pressure be healthy. Okay. What about cholesterol? How can someone address their cholesterol? Same, same thing applies. You know, first of all, do you have, what is your, what is your lipid profile? Sure. Know what it it. is. So get, get, get the lab test done. You know, at the right age with your primary care uh, team, find out when should I get my, my lipids checked. And then there's a, we use a, it's not just cholesterol. We use a, a variety of, of measures, including the high-density lipoprotein, low-density lipoprotein, your triglycerides, your total cholesterol. And, and those all contribute to, you, to a person's risk of developing heart disease. So know what that is. And in concert with your care team, figure out what should I do? Is this something that a uh, lifestyle like a diet change or an activity change can, can fix? And do I, can, can I follow that through time? Or again, is, is a medicine, a certain kind of medicine called a statin, is that something that I should think about using? Okay. Or maybe even an aspirin, which is, doesn't affect your cholesterol, but reduces the risk of, of coronary or cardiovascular disease. Can substance use affect our heart? Absolutely, yeah. And, um, and so um, it, you know, and that's with drugs or alcohol, excessive um, alcohol use has been shown to be uh, a risk factor of heart disease. Uh, lots of certain kinds of drugs um, can cause sudden heart attack um, by raising blood pressure and, and direct effect on the heart. So, so struggling with addictions, um, you know, looking to get treatment is a, is a powerful step in, in the healing journey. Would like a methamphetamine be one that can cause like the sudden? Yeah, the, the class of, of drugs we call stimulants. Okay. Um, would abs- they, have, they put this sudden acute stressor on the cardiovascular system. So isn't caffeine a stimulant? One of the effects of caffeine is a stimulant. Yeah, and so the, the and so your question, what about coffee? Because you know, yeah. a lot of us drink a lot of coffee, and is that healthy for the heart or not? And there is, um, as you as you may suspect, there's a lot of people who are keenly interested in the answer to that question. So there's a lot of research on uh, coffee drinking and heart health, and like lots and lots of studies. Um, and currently, the balance of, of evidence would suggest that, um, you know, when coffee beans are ground fresh and, um, and you know, and a filtered um, coffee beverage is made, uh, it's actually neutral to beneficial to the heart. Huh. Okay. Despite that, the fact that caffeine is a stimulant. But and we're not just out, padding the evidence here because I, we I would, really love coffee. I would coffee. be the one to pad the evidence, <laughs> mind you. If there's a bias, you know what my bias is. But, yeah, as it turns conscious. out, like... <laughs> conscious. Yeah, overt <laughs> and consistent. Um, yeah, so the... the and it, there's some thinking that has to do with some of the electrolytes that, are, that come through um, freshly brewed coffee, including potassium and others. Okay. Yeah. Here's sort of a shotgun question. Um, it, since... Some of the evidence shows that coffee in and of itself can be neutral or beneficial. Is there any sort of foods that we know that are definitely good for the heart, helpful to our heart health? We do, yeah. When when we talk about a heart healthy diet, we're generally talking about eat more fruits and vegetables. <laughs> eat, uh, okay. lots, you know, fiber's good for the heart. Um, 
foods that have what we call a low glycemic index, the ones that don't send your sugar off the charts. Explain just a little bit. Glycemic yeah. index. Glycemic inter- index is when you bite into something and, and it's super sweet and causes your body to, to re- release a lot of insulin because the glucose is really high. That can send your blood sugar up and then down. And that sort of sugar roller coaster, uh, turns out it's not very good for your heart, not very good for your blood vessels, can, can cause inflammation. Um, so would like Skittles be in that category? Skittles would, yeah, would certainly be in that category. What about, uh, would carbs be in that category too? Like uh, breads or... Uh, you know, some, some, and some yes, some no. So, like, the, basically, the the when foods are not as processed as much. So, like, if you're in a, okay. in a whole wheat or a you know a, a multi-grain bread, that has a lower glycemic index than Wonder Bread, which is basically like you know sugar in in a bread form. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so, like, is a baked potato better than French fries? Yeah, as it turns out. Okay. Like yeah. refined or unrefined yeah. carbs. Yep. And, and not deep fat fry. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and the use of certain, Comfort food. certain fats, so the monounsaturated rather than the trans fats, and that gets into kind of junk food stuff. But you've also heard maybe of omega-3 fatty acids. For sure. Um, those are very healthy for the heart. Okay, and that, that affects your cholesterol too, right? Uh, it With, can. Okay. Uh, yeah. But the high-density profile, not the low-density? Um. It, Right, so the, a, a high HDL. You're talking about a guy who does not know anything. Yeah, no, and, and trust me, n- you know, nutrition is, um, and healthy diet is, is actually, it's really complicated, and the mechanisms aren't fully understood, and uh, there's not as much, not nearly enough research done in ways that give clear answers to these questions. Gotcha. And so a lot of the, the, the research on nutrition, for example, are these large observational studies. Okay where you look at a hundred thousand people in the Framingham heart study and say, what are they eating? That's all the same. Or, you know, so there's, uh, you've heard of things like the Mediterranean diet. A lot of those, yep. a lot of that comes from these big observational studies, but, um, so some of the mechanism may not be completely understood, but a high HDL is good. That I think is what you're getting at. For sure. Yeah. And a low and, and the, a low LDL yeah, exactly. is good. Right. Yep. And then low triglycerides as well. When you're talking about the lipid profiles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, sitting down with your care team um, and or and or if you have the opportunity to meet with the nutritionist, you know, learning about this stuff can be really empowering because it can really help help a person figure out, you know, what what can I do to maybe make some changes in my diet that that'll serve me well in the long run. Gotcha. And, you know, I everybody's different, too. Right. Does that come into play? It does to a certain extent. And and. You know, when you think about the fact that, you know, people may have uh, a health condition that means they can't eat a certain kind of food, right? I'm gluten intolerant or, you know, or I have, you know, another condition like diabetes or certain inflammatory things, you know, knowing and foods can affect those things in a negative way. And so, yeah, so that's where a a conversation with with a care team and again, ideally with someone who. A, a registered dietitian or nutritionist can be really beneficial to tailor your your diet plan for you. And it, and I think it's, you know, when we talk about diets, like a fad diet, those generally never work. Mm. If you have to do something really radical and think I'm going to go on the grapefruit 45 and I'm going <laughs> to do the keto, whatever, you know, paleo, you know, the, those often um, start off, you know, with lots of energy and, and attention and excitement, but fizzle out. 
Sure. And so really the, the key is what are some small sustainable changes I could make that I can do consistently day in, day out for a decade? Lifestyle changes, two. right? Yeah. Is what I'm hearing you say? And, and with my whole family or with the, all, all the people that I'm eating meals with. And maybe, maybe it's a question of where I eat meals. Never eat meals in a car, for example. Right. Making choices like that can be really helpful. That's, it's, that opens up a whole new conversation that we could probably spend hours on, huh? Yeah. Like social eating, um, uh, mindful eating versus unmindful eating, stress eating. I mean, we were just, we just had a couple of episodes that we did about stress and some of the negative things that we can Absolutely. do when we're under stress when it comes to food and how that affects. Oh my gosh, that could, we're not going into those things thinking, you know what, this is going to have a negative effect on my heart. Yeah. So I'm not going to do this. Because I'm stressed out, right? And I'm reactive versus... Um, I think that, you know, a lot, a lot of faith traditions, right? You pray before you eat. <laughs> and I think that there's a huge benefit to that of just being centered and maybe sure. letting some of the stress go a little bit before you eat. Maybe you get more nutrition out of that food. Maybe it digests more healthily. Maybe you're talking with people and interacting better. Well, then there's a practical piece to this too, Adam. I mean, again... By all means, the disclaimer and the asterisk that I would that I would put before what I'm about to say is the fact that I'm not a clinical person, I'm not a clinician, I'm not a dietitian or a physician. So what Dr. Mark is saying is the beauty of the the beauty of working for an organization like we work for is that there are a pile of resources and people that are a heck of a lot smarter and highly trained mm. that can definitely give us practical solutions to we have to live our life too, you know. And and I think as you brought up the different eating habits or exercise or lack thereof, um, you know, as a non-clinical person, but also working in healthcare and wanting and knowing that I have some genetics that aren't in my favor, um, trying to figure out a way to how do we practically do this? And unfortunately, I think for a lot of people, they don't really know that they need to make a change until there's an issue. Sure. You know, they have, yeah. they have one of these events or they have a challenge. And then all of a sudden it's like, now I need to make a change. I think one of the things that we talk about in our family is, the, the practical approach to moderation in anything that we do, moderation in technology, moderation in your eating, moderation in not being too, you know, you, you have to move. I mean, you have, you have to find, walk, run, sure. spend some time at the gym. It's not only good for your spiritual, emotional, and, you know, psyche, but it's also very, very good for your, you know, your physical health as well. But I, but I think one of the things that I know that I've had ongoing conversations with my kids about it is this is really a story about consistency and not intensity. Okay. You know, when we want to get in shape, it's, it's, we don't sugar rush coming up. People have worked the last three and a half months to get to a place where they can come on Saturday and really enjoy without falling over. And so it's a consistency <laughs> effect, of, right. you know, X amount of time, X number of days a week to prepare and, and just building that into your daily routine. It's not an intensity thing where it's like, I'm going to get ready for the sugar rush tomorrow and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out from eight until six. That's right. And I'm going to be intense for nine hours and that's going to prepare me for the sugar rush. It's this ongoing grind of it's 20 to 30 minutes a day after day after day, long term that help you get in these places. I, I think Dr. Mark that our primary care teams and others, it's, they're not asking for intensity. Like, you need to, you need to flip this switch and go from where you are to being perfect in a, in a matter of days. It, this is, 
slow modification, changing behaviors, changing your choices, and and really looking at kind of this longer longer haul than you know it's a marathon literally and not a sprint because it's (laughs) literally you can't it's it's not sustainable i mean when we when we try to do these wild and crazy short bursts they don't last you know so we're looking for a lasting effect and in my mind it's it's about consistency of doing it over and over again and not intensity of i just work out for nine hours and now i'm in shape (laughs) nope It's a great easy. We'd all do it. Right. Yeah. I love that. Totally great point. Yeah. And going back real quick to the prevention piece that you were talking about, like most of us don't know we have an issue until, until like something drastic happens and like your father, right. Who just all of a sudden, which he didn't really have an issue, but he didn't think it, right. You know, but unfortunately it was this episodic issue or challenge that he had that then said, wow, the numbers and all of the the data and the markers are saying that I didn't, I wasn't really predisposed, but I obviously I am. So, you know, maybe his, his upper level for his cholesterol and his lipid panel really needed to be, you know, brought down some just based on his individual circumstance, but they didn't know it until this unfortunate situation. Well, I, I've, I've been talking to a guy, a a friend of mine, he's in his seventies right now. And, um, he, he's had six heart attacks and, you know, I'm, my first question to him is like, dude, what do you wish you knew, you know, early on? I mean, his six heart attacks have affected his life in so many ways, especially now that he's in his seventies, um, his, his quality of life isn't necessarily the best, you know I mean? We're talking about a guy who walks around with nitroglycerin tabs in his pocket. Um, that's how close he is, um, any given moment. So he just had some really good advice uh for me when i was talking to him and he said dude you just need to get checked you need to know and knowing is a big uh a big part of being able to prevent anything or making the changes that need to be made over a slow period of time Kent, as you were saying um that could really uh, impact your life in a positive way and not in a negative way so yeah, yeah i think uh, i think for the most part none of us want to have one heart attack uh, not to mention six right so it just shows the importance of being able to effectively take care of your heart Um, so great conversation guys i really appreciate your clinical knowledge i really appreciate your practical um, insight into this kent so thanks guys so much and we'll just we'll leave it there and uh, have a great day all thanks everybody I hope you enjoyed this episode on the necessity of keeping your heart healthy and some things to look out for. If you know someone who could benefit from this discussion, would you share it with them? Stay tuned. We have more helpful conversations about health coming your way.